This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Brian Nolan, I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are blessed to have Aaron Youngkins. Aaron is the coordinator of outreach and education for the Respect Life Office of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. And our topic is addressing the scourge of human trafficking. What parents should know. A special welcome to you, Aaron. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on to talk about this. We're talking about human trafficking, which is so much more prevalent than we can ever imagine. Erin, can you explain what falls under the category of human trafficking? So trafficking is defined as the luring and enslavement uh, for the purposes of labor or uh, for sexual trade of any human being, man, woman, or child, being owned and sold and traded. How prevalent is it, would you say, in the in the United States? I thought I heard a study that says it's a high-level practice in the United States. Can you articulate what, what does that look like both nationally and even locally? Sure. So, well, nationally, we have, there's there's varying statistics. At any given time, it's estimated that there are between a quarter of a million and two million victims of sex trafficking alone in our country. Wow. It's wow. very difficult to get some of the numbers on some of the laboring trafficking practices. Mm-hmm. As of 2019, which are the most recent sort of validated statistics, it's estimated that there's four million victims of sex, traf- sex trafficking globally and somewhere near 10 to 14 million of total trafficked human beings. Let's start particularly with labor trafficking. Like, What does that look like and what's happening? So labor trafficking is when this tends to be an issue where it more crosses country lines. So typically labor trafficking is a practice where people are promised work, but then once they are brought over to usually agriculture, but also some other industries, they are not given the wages that they were promised. They're often kept held against their will in small sort of camp-like environments and threatened with, you know, violence, violence against their families, the threat of deportation or the deportation of their families. And so they're in, they're forced into labor. Now that's how it's Hmm. practiced in the United States around the country can look a little bit different. It's estimated that this is 50% of some of the uh, international factories that are practiced right now. So within the last 10 years, there have been a lot of initiatives within our country, but also worldwide to crack down on some of the organized labor trafficking, particularly internationally and in some of those you know, developing countries. But it still exists today in the United States, particularly mm-hmm. in the, the South and in the Southwest. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I thought I remember hearing uh, stories of people in, in the case of uh, this, that type of labor trafficking, that they were brought over here to say they were going to work for this. And sometimes it involved sexual trafficking too, but they said, well, well, we paid for your flight, so we can't release you. You have to work as a maid or you have to work on the farm until you pay back your debt. And it becomes this like never ending, like you can never pay it back and, you know, all these requirements. And then they're literally like, like they'll take away their passports or visas or whatever it is. And that's, I can't imagine that's traumatic. And for a lot of people, they're they're brought over even for the, the purposes of labor at a really young age. And there have been um, issues where people weren't 
really even sure where they came from because they were so young. So they've been working in this wow. country or other countries for such a long time that there was no home to go back to. So even the thought of being able to maybe escape or be rescued or seek assistance, not having any family to return to, not really knowing where you're from, you know, that just creates a whole other level of slavery where, you know, the person is left utterly vulnerable. Right. I think sometimes when we think of human trafficking or sex trafficking, there's the connection of, oh, it's over there. It only happens to foreign people, but it is not uncommon, even in our state of Maryland and Baltimore. Can you speak about that? And what are ways where our children kind of get snagged in, into human trafficking? Yeah, so I always, you know, I think when I first started learning about this, which was over a decade ago, I sort of assumed that maybe it was more uh, an issue on our borders. And while it certainly is an issue on our borders, two of the biggest hotspots for human trafficking in the United States are Long Island and Baltimore. So Maryland has a high rate of um, trafficked persons, and so does New York. So these are not countries on the border, I mean, states on the border, obviously, and yet it is a huge issue here. And it is with the proliferation of Internet pornography, sex trafficking has become a massive billion-dollar industry. And so we are having more and more both domestic teens, like, you know, our United States citizens, women and children, lured into trafficking operations. Um, but also in our country, the next two highest nationalities that we find victims to trafficking are Mexican women and children and also people from the Philippines as well. So, you know, it's, it is a huge issue and it's a multicultural issue. I've heard of cases where they definitely prey on vulnerable children or vulnerable teenagers that might not have both parents in the home or, or, or things of that sort. Can you speak to that or even just the question of those who might be vulnerable, not in that way, but just naive about the realities of predators, especially online? Yeah, so without a doubt, traffickers are, are looking for easy targets. They are without a doubt targeting your vulner most vulnerable and what makes a, a teen or an adult, for that matter, vulnerable? Isolation is a big one. Poverty is, is a really big one. For children, it is a lack of supervision and unstable households. So for kids who maybe don't have two parents in the home, so one parent is out working and they're left to themselves, that's a vulnerable child or a teenager. For kids maybe who don't have the support at home to make it to school every day, that's a vulnerable teenager. For kids who are dropping out, it's reported that one in seven runaways in the U.S. is uh, likely a victim of sex trafficking. So I'm guessing that that statistic might even be a little bit low because it is such big business that going after you know, vulnerable children is, is how they make their money. And this last year in particular, it was estimated by the U.N. that something in the neighborhood of 14,000 nationally and closer to 12 million internationally, children would not be returning to school after this pandemic due to increases in poverty and, and instability in their own homes. And so you have even more children than ever before that aren't at school. They're not with safe adults. They're not enrolled in some of these programs. You know, they are struggling to just have their basic needs met. And then, you know, these are, these are children who are clearly going to be much easier to lure into the, the trafficking trade. Rarely is it just sort of a, a black and white kind of kidnapping situation. Typically, it's a trafficker who uses another victim or themselves sometimes to gain the trust of a, of a person in order to bring them into the work that they're going to eventually have them do. And then that's when things start to get much worse for someone. And of course, 
um, not only vulnerable teens are can be victims of, of this horrible crime, can also be kids from two parent households that seem to have everything going for them and are in school and, and do have their needs met because of course, the internet allows not only us to have access to the world, but it allows the world to have access to us. And that's something that's very, very difficult for kids and for teens to be able to protect themselves from. So that question of social media and the question of of ways that people can have access to young people, it, it is one of those challenges that I think parents don't realize that that reality, that many people are much more vulnerable and even young people aren't aware of, of those type of things. We're going to spend the second segment speaking about this a little bit more. What would you, how did you get interested in learning more about this? I think for, for, for two reasons. You know, the first one, it is such a life issue because it's tied to so many other life issues. Certainly, trafficking is tied to abortion. And we've had many, many cases of that nationally that have proven that out. It's certainly connected, obviously, to immigration and to poverty, and it's definitely connected to suicide as well. On top of that, you know, I think early in my career as a therapist, before I began working for the Archdiocese, I worked at Shepherd Pratt Hospital on the trauma disorder mm-hmm. unit and seeing firsthand, or secondhand rather, what happens to, to people of this kind of violence and, uh, to, you know, the psychology, to the emotional health and to the physical health of, of people was very impactful for me. You know, I think that it, it's something that we absolutely cannot turn a blind eye to. And it's easy to do that. It's this forgotten population of people because we don't see them. You know, they're not they're not wearing signs that say that they're being trafficked and they're just sort of lost in the shadows. And so that just has always been something I've carried with me. And now I'm the mother of teenagers. And so right. I'm dealing with social media and computers and internet access literally every single day, all day long with my kids and wow. who's going to have a phone and how old they're going to be and what can they have and how are people accessing them. And um, so it's something that as a parent, it, you know, my generation is the first generation of parents that really has to pay a lot of attention to this and it's extremely time consuming. So I think that the easier we can make it on each other, the better. Wonderful. Aaron, I had a friend that told me uh, relatively recently that their 15-year-old son met someone randomly and they later found it was on TikTok and they knew nothing of the person and they were driving them to their home and it became really shady. And all of a sudden you met them on TikTok and you didn't tell me, well, mom, I didn't really want to shock you or scare you. And it was like, what are you doing? But these are realities and these are important issues. I know it's terrifying and it's happening. So like you said, I mean, even you know someone that it happened to, and I know that it's, it's happening less in our my inner circle than it is with you know obviously more vulnerable areas but but i still do hear about it I probably it's happening much more without knowing because I'm, I'm hearing more and more from parents telling stories where the level of inappropriate stuff being propositioned to their like young yeah. young kids yeah it's hard too because you do you feel like you have to spend a lot of time out of your day going through all of their stuff so it, i think if we can get more people to band together and agree to not let our kids have things <laughs> It would make life easier for everybody. When we come back in our second segment, we're going to talk a little bit specifically to parents. What should parents be aware of in terms of the challenges that social media brings? And we'll talk about that in our next segment. I'm Father Brian Nolan for Catholic Review Radio, but we'll be back in a moment. May God bless you. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. 
The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Kathy Sitzwall's dream for this Lenten season is that Catholics throughout the Archdiocese of Baltimore take a few minutes to pray every day for each of the 54 seminarians preparing to become priests for the Archdiocese. The parishioner of St. John the Evangelist in Severna Park has even set up a prayer schedule, designating prayer days for different seminarians. The prayers began Ash Wednesday and will extend through Lent and into the Easter season. Quote, I am hopeful these men will eventually become future priests, said Sitzwall, who also organizes spiritual bouquets for priests, deacons, and seminarians. They're not there yet, she said, and there is a lot of things going against them, and they are still discerning, and they all need the support we can give them, end quote. Sitzwall, whose cousin is former Baltimore Auxiliary Bishop, Cardinal James Francis Stafford, has conducted similar prayer campaigns in the past, picked up by a handful of parishes. She hopes the latest effort will be promoted in every parish of the Archdiocese. Father Stephen Roth, vocations director for the Archdiocese of Baltimore, is promoting the prayer campaign and encouraging as many people as possible to participate. Prayer that is, quote, purposeful and particular, end quote, can be powerful, he said. I think it very much encourages our seminarians to know that as they are giving themselves to formation, they have the prayerful support of the whole Archdiocesan family, he said. For more on this story and a calendar that lists seminarians to be prayed for daily, visit catholicreview.org. As Christians pray, fast, and give alms during Lent, they also should consider giving a smile and offering a kind word to people feeling alone or frightened because of the coronavirus pandemic, Pope Francis said. Love rejoices in seeing others grow, the Pope said. It suffers when others are anguished, lonely, sick, homeless, despised, or in need, the Pope wrote in his message for Lent 2021. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the virtual newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. With inviting surroundings, complete independence, and an unmatched quality of life, Mercy Ridge is the unparalleled choice for your retirement lifestyle. It's a way of living that promotes an active, healthier life. Located in Timonium, Maryland, Mercy Ridge Continuing Care Retirement Community features a beautifully landscaped 32-acre campus. The grounds, dining, and recreational amenities and residences are designed to provide a gracious lifestyle and a variety of exciting activities. Visit MercyRidge.com. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. My name is Father Brian Nolan, a priest of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are blessed to be back for our second segment addressing uh, the scourge of human trafficking and what parents should know. So I'd like to focus a little bit more. So welcome back, Erin uh, Yonkins. Yes, thank you. Erin is the coordinator of outreach and education for the Respect Life Office of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. I wanted to focus a little bit more on the question of what should parents know, uh, again, not just in someone who lives in the inner city, someone who lives in a, a stable household, or what should they know about the challenges or the open doors of social media and, and the dangers that, that young people need to know or parents need to know to help their young people to understand? Yeah, that's, it's such an important question, and it's one that I think that the first 
thing that I'd really like to emphasize here, uh, especially as a parent of, of teenagers myself, is that the conversation is not just between you and your children. It's not just between you and your teenagers. It needs to be also, I think, between among, rather, parents. I think our communities have to have these conversations because, you know, I can tell you firsthand, and, I, you know, all other parents listening most certainly, I'm sure, experience the same thing. It's very difficult to have a conversation one-on-one with your teen about all of these restrictions that you're going to put down and all of these things you're trying to educate them on and and reinforce those with a teenager who is certain that the rest of the world gets to do everything else. <laughs> and I think that if right. we can build stronger communities of parents who openly have these conversations, that we can really keep many, many more children safe. So, you know, if it, whether it's the single parent who's just so overwhelmed, they don't have time to get to all these things and you can help them out. You know, whether it's a new parent who hasn't had the opportunity to learn about these things yet. You know, I I really do think parents need to come together and have these conversations so that it makes it a little bit easier for our kids to understand that um, the restrictions that we're putting on them really are for their safety and for the safety of all of our youth no matter uh, what their what their age and stage is. Because at this point, we have really young kids, even on the Internet. It's not just teenagers. I, you know, I think after that, it, it is a lot of basics. I think the challenge comes in when you're talking about consistency. You know, one thing that my husband and I experienced was going through all of these different sort of watchdog apps for our kids to try to figure mm-hmm. out what service was going to be the best, what service was going to be able to go through all of our kids' devices and alert us to any sort of flags. And although some of them are really, really great, none of them does everything. So that's maybe the the second point I'd like to make is that there is no service that takes the place of genuine supervision in a relationship with your child. So it's great if you have restrictions. It's great if you have watchdog apps, but they do not take the place of you talking to your kid, going through their electronics with them, going through their electronics without them, and spending quality time with them. I would say that the third tip that I would, uh, you know, I, I hope that we can all embrace in our households is to have that open dialogue with your kids. It's very, very difficult for most of our children to understand the horrors of trafficking. And it's certainly something that we'd like to shelter our kids from. It's not a graphic conversation I'd like to have with my children, but to a certain degree, they do need to know. They do need to be aware just how serious it is because kids are being lured by all kinds of promises. They're being lured with the promise of money. They're being lured even with the promise of likes and followers. There's so many kids, whether it's TikTok or other social media, that are dying to be validated by having all of these followers. And so when you, that's another thing that, that abusers are definitely leveraging with, with kids is the lure of being, becoming internet famous. And right. so that's another thing to, to really be aware of and, and talking to your kids about. So making sure to whatever degree you're comfortable exposing your kids to that reality, making sure that they know what they're up against and that there's absolutely no way that they will single-handedly outsmart it because also anyone who's a parent of a teenager knows that. When you start to have this conversation with your kids, they all say the same thing. They all say, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and, um, right, and of course, right. they don't. They, they don't know, and they can't keep themselves safe. And so, you know, making sure that they know the reality, I think, is, is one of the next important things. 
while human trafficking is an issue, we're also talking about mm-hmm. protecting children from predator, on, especially online yeah. predatory uh, adults. Can you speak to that? Because I, I remember seeing a video or, or something uh, several months ago and told a story of a, a woman reporter who was a mom. And she went undercover as a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old, and they said, well, how long before she would be propositioned and asked inappropriate things after she posted a picture? And they timed it, and it was like a minute 20. And it was just yeah, like, are it, you kidding me? And and can you speak to that? Like, what do they need to know of, like, this is all out there. There are people all the time preying on children. Can you speak to that of just saying these are just regular social media apps? Yeah, there are. Um, it's the number one place for child exploitation and, and abusers to go to find kids now. So they're not hanging out at the park and the mall the way that they maybe were decades, a few decades ago. So it's the Internet now. And the other important thing for your kids to know is not necessarily that they're going to be you know, caught up in a trafficking ring. The number of abusers that are online just waiting for kids and the number one thing to keep children safe from that is to make sure that they are always on closed servers, that they are never um, disclosing their actual age, that they are never using their real name, that they are never using their actual personal image in a profile picture. Um, You never, ever want to, to give anything away to anyone about who you actually are. And so, um, can I pause real quick? Because if I were a parent, if a parent would say, how do I do that with my 15 year old, son or daughter to say they can't post their picture. You know what I mean? That almost sounds like, yeah. well, what what child is ever going to be open to that reality? I mean, like, what do you tell a child that or, or how do you, what do you, what do you tell a parent who said that just sounds so unrealistic? Sure. You know, I think, you know, for our, obviously we're, you're also talking about different standards between a child who's maybe 12 and a child who's 17. So, you know, as kids are aging, they're certainly able to be more and more in charge of themselves. But I think the various platforms, it's really important to educate yourself about. So there's platforms that have a lot of parental controls. Facebook actually does have quite a few solid parental controls so that you really can um, control who has access to your child's profile. Is their profile linked to you? Actually, TikTok now does have a new way for you to link your own personal account to your child's account. You know, but I think a lot of it, too, again, goes back to maybe building that community with other parents. So for my children, um, the social media apps that they are allowed to use, they are closed. I have the code. They can't make them public accounts. They're only private accounts. What I accounts are they? Is that on TikTok or what is that one for? So not on TikTok. They're not on TikTok, but they, so, you know, for example, my daughter has an Instagram account. It's a closed account. Her profile mm-hmm. picture, which would be the only one that you can see, is a distant picture where you couldn't actually see her her actual image. And so making sure that you have those things locked up for your kids, making sure you're following those accounts, making sure you're logging on and looking through those accounts. I think that that's really, really important. And, and doing it regularly because these social media companies and, and all of these different platforms, they change their rules and they update their guidelines on a regular basis. And one day everything can be nice and locked up and clean and the next day suddenly you've got to reset all of your your preferences in order to keep them right. protected again so you know i think simplicity is also the way to go you know i trying to keep your kids off as many as as platforms as you can so that you're not overwhelmed with a full-time job can you speak to the question and the challenge of gaming 
and how you, people are connecting anonymously or they could pose as other people. Can you tell that's a reality that I don't think parents fully understand, but young people like almost find their community in these gaming worlds. Can you speak to that? They do. And unfortunately, they can also make a lot of money off of it as well. And that's probably um, one of the number one ways that predators are reaching particularly young boys, young men on, on uh, the gaming platforms, they tend to be obviously more boys and girls, is with the lure of money. Uh, you can become sort of gaming rich if you maybe send a picture of yourself or maybe respond in a certain way to somebody. And so there are a few different gaming communication apps and making sure, again, that no different than some of the other social media platforms that those are, they have parental controls that only you have. There's codes so that you can set it so that your children are only allowed to communicate with people that are approved by you, that you can, that they're only allowed to communicate with people who, who you know and who you can verify their identity because they are able to send essentially money to your children and they can send wow. it through, you know, whether it's Bitcoin or whether it's internet dollars. And that's, that's a very sort of dark reality. But gaming can be a very dangerous platform, especially especially for young boys. And parents need to be aware of that. Well, Aaron, what a great, great blessing to have you on for these last two segments. This addressing the scourge of whether it's human trafficking or predatory behavior, what parents should know. We definitely encourage you that anybody can, what would you tell people to, to get in contact to learn more about this? So we will all week long. Right now, the Respect Life Office with the Archdiocese is posting a lot about human trafficking. I will also post some websites that you can go and get resources. I would recommend a very easy one for everyone to remember is A21.org. But A21 um, is a wonderful anti-trafficking and child safety um, ad organization, and they have downloadable guides for parents to be able to talk with their kids of various ages and sort of help navigate the world of social media and gaming. Great. Thank you for your time, Aaron. That was a great blessing. Thank you for your good work. I'm Father Brian Nolan from Catholic Review Radio. May God bless you. You're probably not getting much church news in your daily newspaper or on your local TV station. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. There are so many ways to stay in touch with the Catholic Review. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Catholic Review Media will inspire, teach, inform, and engage you wherever your faith takes you. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.